0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, my Real
1: Life family. <laughs> Just you and me and a couple thousand of our closest family members. What? What? This is cool. Hey, glad you're here this morning. We uh, are so excited to be able to share this with you. And um, as we get rolling this morning, I wanted to take a minute. I know that for a lot of us, like we kind of come in here and sit. And watch kind of the climax of the movie every year. That's what Easter is, right? Like it's it's the climax of the movie. The problem is there's this really cool story that the rest of the movie tells, and we would love to have you come and learn about that as well. Uh, this this whole concept of resurrection and grace and redemption and like these massive concepts that help the universe function properly. How do we even talk about them with our kids? So uh, I'm excited to introduce to you, starting next week, we're going to do an eight-week series uh, called One Big Story, and we're going to do it in conjunction with uh, Life for Kids. And it'll be an opportunity for us as a, as adults and children to kind of be bu- built around this, this arc moving through the scripture and have us to be able to... Um, have the same conversation. They'll be talking about the same thing in their class that we're talking about in in big people church, um, fake church, because the real action, I don't know if you know this, but the real action's up there. (laughs) Uh, But we'll, we'll be having the same topics of conversation, and then you'll be able to come home and have some intentional conversations with your kids throughout the week. And it'll help us to be able to to really put our minds around how we even frame up this this conversation about the Bible. Because I think for most of us, we want to talk about the Bible with our kids and with our family members. We just really don't know how. So this will give us a a framework to be able to have that conversation. And I'm excited about that. So we want to invite you back. That's starting next week. That'll be uh, for our Pullman campus at the S.A.L. Events Center and for Moscow campus. That'll be at the Eastside Marketplace. And by the way, you're welcome to come back here next Sunday, too. Um, We just won't be here. Although bringing the campuses together has been pretty awesome so far. Like it's awesome to be here. And I don't know, like the worship was okay, I guess. You know, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> that was amazing. That was so good. Anyway, uh, we're going to jump into this uh, cl- conclusion of our season of Lent with the resurrection. I know for many of you on Friday, which was the first day of not Lent, you went and uh, found the the self-serve ice cream place at the or went to the Dairy Queen and just laid under the machine because you gave up sugar for Lent. And so you just were like, bags of candy. Like, whatever you gave up for Lent, man, you've already been uh, making up for lost time, many of you. Uh, But I want to talk about why this season of Lent becomes so powerful for us in that we, we lay down these things, these issues that need to die in our life, so that on a day like today, where we remember the empty tomb, We remember how valuable resurrection is for us and how if we'll let God run his agenda in our life, everything changes for the better. Peter experienced that. And you guys remember last week in last week's sermon, and we're going to get a bit of a rolling start here, but in last week's sermon, we talked about Peter kind of as the betrayer and wrestled with Judas and Peter both. And we talked about why Peter wasn't labeled the betrayer and and why Judas was. So if you missed that, it's online. You can go to liferootp.com and get that. But um, what we talked about was this moment in John 21 where Jesus comes and restores Peter. Like Peter blew it big time. And for many of us, we know exactly what that feeling is like. Like, man, I blew it. Peter doesn't know what to do with himself, And, and Peter has this just beautiful, intimate moment with Jesus standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, looking eyeball to eyeball with a resurrected Christ. And because Peter has this conversation with the resurrected Christ, it changes him forever. Like, he's forever different, and... What's cool about that is we get to see in the trajectory of Peter's life kind of what happens as a result of this conversation that he has with Jesus, where Peter, Jesus restores Peter to his position. Like, we get to see what happened, and he's changed. He becomes the, the capstone of our Christianity today. Like, he's the preacher on the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the church. Like, he's, he's one of the founders of the faith that you and I sit here celebrating today. One of the really cool things is like 30 years after this conversation that he has with Jesus, he writes a letter to some people and he talks about the resurrection and he talks about what it means to him then in that time. And I think there's some lessons that we can learn about that if we'll take a look at it and understanding how resurrection should affect you and me. Yeah. And that, uh, letter that he wrote is
2: found in first peter chapter one and we're going to take a look at it this morning so follow along it says uh, blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look.
0: 30 years later, Peter is still talking about that moment. Like 30 years later. And Peter's had some pretty big moments, like Pentecost. Uh, Peter's been there for some Jerusalem council moments things that really shape the course of what we would call our own Christian history. But 30 years later, the thing that he's writing to other believers, believers who didn't get to see a resurrected Jesus, not, not in the flesh like he did on the beach that day, when he writes to them, the thing that he, he calls back to 30 years later to talk about a living hope is this resurrected Christ. He says the resurrection changes everything for all of us. And what I find so interesting about that, I, you know, I grew up going to a lot, I grew up in the church my whole life. I went to a lot of Easter sermons, and a lot of them being basically a big celebration that someday we get to all go to heaven, which is great. And some of us have lost close friends and family this year, and that message is powerful, and we don't need to miss that. But for Peter, this is, this is deeper and wider than just that fact. For Peter, this is a living hope, a living hope. For Peter, this empty tomb changes everything about today, and how they live, and how they act, and what they do, and how they conquer, and why they get up, and why they persevere. This changes everything, not just for Peter, but for all those people that came after him, dare I suggest, you and I. I love the way he closes the passage. Angels long to look into these things. The things that you and I are singing about and celebrating today, angels long to look at them. This is a profound thing that we struggle every year to find words for. It's profound. It has unbelievable power and depth. Angels long to look at them. And we've struggled for 2,000 years. It's not just us. And us three, for 2,000 years, we just, we just struggle anyway. For 2,000 years, we have struggled to figure out how, how do you put words on this resurrection thing? And we found different ways to talk about it. And, and we wanted to take that 2,000 year conversation and just put it in our own words between the three of us here to share with you today. And so we're going to take some of those perspectives that we've shared throughout the centuries, put them in our own words, and See if God doesn't want to say something to you. I'm betting there's going to be one or two of these perspectives that you're going to be like, yeah. Yeah, that's why on some level the resurrection is so powerful to me. So one of those things is this sense of debt. Like some of us have this real awareness. I would argue all of us have an awareness that we have participated in like open rebellion against the order and shalom of God. We have been participants in in things that bring the world Chaos. It pulls the world further apart. We call it sin. And so because of this, we have this sense that like there's a there's a heavenly bank account somewhere, and I am like getting further and further and further into the red. Like I have a larger and a larger debt. But we sang just a moment ago, oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. So, on one level, the empty tomb tells us this morning that if you feel like there's a bank balance somewhere, Jesus paid the bill. Yeah, Jesus paid the bill. And in fact, Peter will say in that passage Thad read that there's an inheritance. It's not just that you're at net zero, it's that somehow you're in Christ, your bank account, spiritual bank account, spiritual bank account, Is growing in this resurrected Christ, like that's a thing. We were at a, I was on a trip with my family recently. We were at a hotel and we had, we were having breakfast, and it wasn't one of those those hotels that had those continental breakfasts with like the toaster and the waffle machine. It was one of those hotels that had the restaurant. You had to go pay for breakfast. So we went down there and we had our breakfast, and we needed to get on to my next meeting, and I was waiting for the check, and so I kind of flagged the the server down and. I said to her, "You know, we we need to get going. If we get our check, that'd be great." And her her response was, "Oh no, somebody here somebody here got you. Like they pay they paid for it. You're you're all taken care of." how many of you have been in situations where that's happened to you on some level? There's this like moment of, ah, where where are they? The rooms now empty. Who I I have a hunch of who it might have been, but there's nothing I can do except just smile. And accept it. Like there's nothing I can do but just be gracious and filled with gratitude. The empty tomb is that for, for many of us this morning, that moment where you've been carrying all this stuff and you have this awareness of a bill that's coming, and the empty tomb is the waitress showing up and going, Oh no, no, somebody got somebody got you, you're all good. That's good news.
2: That is good news. And for some of us, Maybe in a different way, we feel like we're held captive by our sin, like no matter where we go or what we do, we just can't escape our sin or our past mistakes. The, the things that we've done wrong, the, the ways that we've blown it in the past, they just seem to find us wherever we go. And I know for myself, I can relate to this, and maybe some of you can as well. Uh, It's so much so that like it would even uh, dictate whether or not you want to go back to your hometown or where you went to college maybe because you're a different person now, but yet when you go back, it sort of feels like everybody's going to see the old you, like the the sinner you, the one that did that when you were that, right? And resurrection says that we are not the sum total of our mistakes, right? We are not defined by our sin. We are not defined by our sin. We are new creations in Christ. And the the words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth is the the same words that ring true to us today. He said that, that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone fully. We are not held captive by that sin anymore. It does not follow us around. Then the new has come. We
1: are a truly can be a new creation in Christ. I think for for some of us sitting here wrestling with what does the empty tomb mean, we live in this world where everything seems to be like a fight. Like the world is a uh, competition, something to be dominated. It's a war. And we gotta prepare for battle. Like, even when I say it, my face scrunches up. Like, we're okay. So I'm exaggerating a little bit. But your face scrunches up when I say it. Like, just everything is like rawr, Like, and, and and everything just seems to be like battle conquer war concern wrestling this tension this push pull of life and and even if you're having a good day you're kind of just waiting around for the other shoe to drop like you're you're like I can't really enjoy this blessing this moment because I'm just so afraid that it's all going to turn around in an instant. And you're one of those kind of people that when somebody comes to you and goes, man, I had this great thing happen. It was so cool. you are like, well, just wait. Enjoy it now because welcome to my life pretty soon. So I'm going to fall apart. Like, you really? Shut up. You know what I mean? What happened to the joy? Like, There are people like that. And when we think about the empty tomb, what I love about resurrection is that it reminds us that there is nothing that can happen in this life. Not even death has the power to take your peace. There is nothing that will happen to you that has the power because of the empty tomb to take your peace. You can rest in the grace of a God who goes before you. Like, chill out and smile. Number one, people will talk to you for a change. And number two, you'll extend your life, not only the years of your life, but the quality of those years. Like, the empty tomb says that life isn't a war. And that doesn't mean there isn't stuff going on around us, but I don't have to get sucked into it. I can have peace. Like maybe, maybe for some of us, um, we're sitting in this position where, we're, where we know exactly what I'm talking about. What I love about uh, resurrection, it throws me back into this series that we did through Hebrews. You guys remember that series that we did through Hebrews? Let me tell you something really dumb that we did as a church. In two years, we picked the six most difficult books in the entire Bible. And did a sermon series through them back to back to back to back to back. And you guys endured it. You get a jewel in your crown for that. Well done. But if you remember when we did Hebrews, like one of the things that Hebrews talks about is that Jesus becomes our model for how we suffer well. Like there is going to be suffering in this world. And Peter even alludes to it in this letter. Like resurrection gives us this inheritance, this living hope today. But for some of us, there is this momentary trouble that we endure. Like that is going to happen. Hebrews says that Jesus becomes our model for how we suffer well. So you don't have to lose your peace. Like that's that's good news. That's awesome, right? Like Jesus loves you that much. I think for some of us, we're sitting in a position where we're like, man, life has been so hard, and it's not play stuff. Like this is real stuff. It isn't like my car broke down. And the Lord is really testing me. Like this is real, hard, painful stuff. Like addiction and abuse and being wrong, deeply, profoundly wronged by people close. Like. For some of us, that's the spot that we're sitting in. And I would just invite you to consider the possibility that for you, maybe today more than ever, that the empty tomb is God saying, I see where you are, and I see your suffering, and I'm going to give you the strength to keep walking. Don't quit.
2: Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of that same concept, that same idea of suffering and struggling and the things that we go through, sometimes some of us can get so alone in our suffering and the struggles that we go through and, and just become so isolated that we honestly feel like really nobody else even really knows where we're at, much less what we're going through. Nobody understands our circumstances, nobody understands our specific situation, it's different, right? Like what's happening for me is not the same as what's happening over there and, and nobody knows. And, and what's hard is sometimes we can get so isolated and alone and so away from, from people that we actually start to think God doesn't even know what we're going through. And if you're there or you've been there, you, you probably resonate this idea that you even get frustrated at God, that you can get even angry or mad at God, like God, how could you let me go through this? How could you allow me to be in this spot and not only allow me to be here, but don't seem to care and nobody else even gets it either? Right? And we can feel so alone, like God doesn't know. The empty tomb tells us that there is nowhere that God has not gone to walk with us in our pain, to be with us in our suffering, to experience what we've experienced. There's nowhere he hasn't gone and won't still go with you today.
0: So a lot of these observations that we've been making are internal observations. They're uh, observations that talk about how we process the empty tomb and what it means for us, but the empty tomb also has probably quite a list, but at least one consideration for its external implications. The empty tomb doesn't just change what goes on inside of me, the empty tomb changes how I interact with everything outside of me. Because when we think about sin and we think about participating in rebellion, when we think about uh, chaos and disorder in this world, especially when you're in some of those places that Thad and Aaron were just talking about, it becomes very easy to find that person or that group of people to blame. Theologians call that scapegoating. It's a practice where you're always looking to shift. Where's the vengeance? Where's the wrath? Where does it need to fall? And the New Testament especially, but the Old as well, spends all of this time trying to get God's people to deal with that desire to have to project the blame and the wrath and the vengeance. And what the cross and the empty tomb does is the cross is essentially God saying, how about you point all that blame here and let me take care of it? And the empty tomb is the exclamation point, the receipt, the envoys at the end that says it has been dealt with. I've taken care of all the wrath. And for some of us, we're pretty easy to scapegoat ourselves. Some of us are like, whenever something goes wrong, you're the type of person that's like, it's probably me. It's probably me. I I probably was responsible for that. And then there's some of us that love to go, it's you. And it's them. And it's that group. And it's this thing. And the empty tomb says, it shows the futility of the blame game. There's a quote uh, that I really enjoy from Mike Maharg. He says this, he says, The cross was not God's invention, it was ours. In all our need for an eye for an eye, I have to wonder sometimes if God listened to us cry for blood and offered his own. If Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not to sate God's wrath, but to show God's response to ours. The empty tomb changes not just what goes into me, but what comes out of me as well. It changes everything. And so I want to shift to some implications, as we always do. We want to end with some trying to make it practical. If this changes everything, if Peter says, angels long to look into these things, well, what are the implications of this? To do that, I wanted to share one more quote. I went to school with uh, a pastor down in Clarkston. He went to Bible college with me. His name's Cody, Cody Stauffer. And he He tweeted this this week. He said, this weekend is about the death of religious anxiety. It's about the killing of never enough. It's the murder of guilt weighed out and shame measured. It's the execution of the performance cycle and its curtains for the powers that be. Indeed, it is finished. It is finished indeed. What, what are the implications of this profound truth? Well, one of them is this it's that we are the resurrected Christ for other people. That's our first implication for this morning. We are the resurrected Christ for other people. Peter says in his passage that Thad read, Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Uh, John, one of Peter's good buddies, Maybe even his best buddy, John, wrote some letters in the New Testament as well. And he said something similar. I wonder if him and Peter ever talked about it around a campfire. But John says this. He says, no one has ever seen God. Like, we don't get to do that. That's not how it works. Like, we don't get to sit here and talk to God like I would talk to... I'm, I'm assuming, like, the only, the, the only way that God gets to do that is with himself. Like the Trinity sitting in, sitting in community that... Sorry. Bad metaphor. I don't know which one of us is who. I I talk to myself all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But there's this, we don't get to see God. But John goes on to say this. He goes on to say, if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. But when we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. And the Greek there is to bring to fullness There's nothing missing. In essence, John says, no one gets to see God, but if we love one another, that's pretty darn close. It's about as close as we can get if we love one another. So we we get to be this resurrected Christ to each other and to the world. First implication.
2: That's awesome. One of the other implications or things that we really want to kind of take away from the empty tomb is that, We don't get a resurrected Jesus on the beach like Peter did, but we get each other. Kind of let that sink in for a second. Like we don't get that literal breakfast with some fish on the beach like Peter did with Jesus, but we get each other. And sometimes that may sound a little abstract, but I can tell you my wife and I could testify along with so many people here about how Real, that's been in our life. Like over the years, we're a blended family. We have his, hers, and ours. And uh, proved that the Brady Bunch is a lie. It's, it's harder than the Brady Bunch, right? And we went through really difficult, hard times with some of that uh, implications of blending a family and others and all that stuff. And, and had we not been a part of a church and had we not had God's people walking with us, like literally being Jesus to us, we wouldn't have made it through some of the things we went through. And we've reflected and often have reflected and looked at each other and said, you know, apart from God's people, like apart from Jesus coming and being with us through the church, through friends and and, and people that we know in the church, like I, I know without a doubt we wouldn't be married today. And I sure wouldn't be sitting here, right? Like, we don't get that face-to-face with Jesus, but we get each other. And for us in this church, the the implication, the takeaway is that that we take hold of that. We take ownership of that, and we we recognize that that we get the honor and the blessing and the privilege to literally be Jesus to a lost and hurting world around us.
1: So... We don't get to see God face to face. We have each other. We don't get a resurrected Christ on the beach like Peter did. We have one another. And here's what that means. Then you and I, as a group of people together, we've got to be a church that points people to a resurrected Christ, not to their faults. Listen to me. There are enough places in this world that will tell people where they're wrong. You and I have got to be a place that that shows them what God intends to do about it. We've got to be a place that comes with open arms to say, yeah, you're messed up. Let me show you what God wants to do with that mess up. He wants to take ashes and make them beautiful. He wants to take your mess and make it something useful again. God wants to take your mistakes and heal them and set you free. And if we don't take that from the empty tomb, then metaphorically speaking, maybe you're still in your tomb and it's time to come out. Because the invitation of the empty tomb is to come out of your tomb and to live in a new life that God intends for you. And therefore, we must be a church that points people to that truth and that matters to us. And I think for many of us, we sit in a place where we're like, I really want to believe that that's true. I've just never been shown how. So here's what we're going to do we're going to do something that we have never done in the history of real life on the Palouse, except for last night. We're just going to do a good old fashioned altar call. So here's what I want. I want the house lights down. When every head bowed and every eye closed. And here's the first thing that I want to talk to you about. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I have been walking with the Lord. I just haven't experienced the like that thing that people talk about, that, that, that feeling, the, the set-freedness, the, I don't know, whatever, however you want to describe it, I just haven't experienced that thing and I really, really want to, and I want you to understand if that's where you're sitting right now in your own spirit, community with God's people is the way that we find that. That's what John says. When we love one another, we show God in his fullness. And so if that's you right now sitting in this room like, I want more of God than I've experienced it, would you just put your hand in the air? Just do that. Nobody's looking. Thank you. Maybe some of us came here and you're like, I don't know what in the world I'm doing here. Somebody said like donuts and it was a bait and switch. It was a bait and switch. I don't know what I'm doing here, but there's just something. Like, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I don't know freedom. I don't know hope. I don't know healing. I don't know any of those things that you're saying Jesus provides because of the resurrection. You're saying he gives that, and I don't know any of those things, but I want to. Would you just put your hand in the air? If you're like, I'm ready to give this Jesus thing a try for real. Thank you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get ready to take communion together. And in the transition of communion, you can get your communion out wherever you've gotten it. Um, We're going to sing a song. Actually, the worship team is going to sing a song. Um, By we, I mean them. Uh, And I want you to consider the words of this song as we prepare our hearts for communion. But let's just say a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, lots of people in this room right now acknowledging that they want to experience you fresh and new. For some experiencing you the first time, for some experiencing you through community. God, whatever it is, I want to ask right now that you will give them the courage to follow through with that commitment. Lord, give us the the sense of your spirit working and moving in our own hearts. Thank you that the empty tomb says that there is no mistake that I can make that's so big that you can't forgive it. And uh, Lord, most of all, be glorified in our decisions. In your name, amen. Uh, Amen. So we take communion every week as a church, but especially this week, especially in what this day represents. This is a reminder for us, a tactile, physical reminder to never, ever, ever, ever forget how much Jesus loves you. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Listen, we shared together in a covenant sealer here for us. This is evidence that we choose to believe this Jesus thing. So, Lots of you guys put your hands in the air for different reasons. Praise the Lord for you. Thank you for that, for being willing to be bold in that moment. It's not enough. It's not enough to, in a moment of fury, put your hand in the air. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing another song together, probably like maybe my favorite worship song ever. And we're going to have some staff up here. But all over the auditorium, we got all these blue shirt people. Now the shirt on says he is risen. They're going to be up in the, in the stairwells. They're going to be all around you. If you put your hand in the air, I want you to go to one of them and say, I need you to pray with me about the commitment that I just made. Can you do that? There's no reason to wait. We're, we're, we're ready to pray with you. So if you're ready to do this, start walking down the aisle. We're going to sing one more song. And if you didn't put your hand in the air and you're like, man, I want to, I want to make a commitment, you feel free. Come on down. We're ready for you. Let's sing one more song
0: together. Thousands of years ago, God spoke to his priests in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And he said, whenever my people get together for special solemn assemblies... You don't do this every time you get together. But for special occasions, there's a special blessing I want you to pronounce over my people. And I, he told the priest, I want you to do this on my behalf. I want you to pronounce this blessing. I can think of no better day than this day on our calendar that we could call a sacred assembly. And God said something in Numbers 6 that I don't completely understand. He told his priest, when you say this blessing over my people, you put my name on them. That when they leave that place, they go with my name on them. I don't know what that means. And I don't know how the theological science of that works. But I love it. And so I want to pronounce that blessing over you before we leave here today, that when you go, you would go with the name of God. You would go out of your tombs. That, the, that your tomb was, would be as empty as the one that Jesus vacated. And that you would go with his name. To all the people, that you would be little empty tombs to everybody that you meet, to lead them out of their own as well. So I'm going to say it in the Hebrew first because I think that's how it works. And then I'll say it in English so you know what I said. <laughs> May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May the grace and the peace of the resurrected Jesus be yours as you leave this place. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, Visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.